Well, it's a joy to be back again this morning. I missed worshiping with you this past week, but our family had a, a great time in Arkansas. We spent some some time on on the lake and just uh, enjoyed enjoyed uh, fellowshipping with one another. But it's a, it's a great joy to be back uh, this morning. We're continuing in the Gospel of Luke, and so if you turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter seventeen. As you turn to Luke 17, let me just kind of remind you of some things that are going on out uh, in the hallway this morning. As you, as you leave, there's an opportunity to find out about some of the different ministries that are at Bethany. And if you haven't had a chance to have been attending here and have been thinking and wondering how God might have you serve, and you're joyfully looking forward to the, the chance to be able to participate in some ministries, I encourage you to check out some of those things. And uh, also, uh, as you go into the hallway, and if you, if you left here and turned to your right and started heading to those front doors, you'll notice that there are some, some care group sign-ups. And our, small, our care groups are our small group ministry, and just want to reiterate what, what Ben said earlier. I, I strongly encourage you, if you haven't gotten involved in a small group at Bethany and have the ability to do so, to, to, to do that. And if you look at those, those sheets and you, you don't see a group you want to sign up on, uh, let us know, and maybe we can find a group that kind of fits with with your schedule. I think it's very important for a believer not just to come and be a part of a, a big group and worship on a Sunday morning, but to get invested in one another's lives. And it's just a, a neat, neat ministry. Highly encourage you to avail yourself of, of that opportunity. Well, we're in Luke 17, and this morning we're going to be looking at verses 20 and 21, but really it's a, a part of a, a larger passage, and we're going to be looking Uh, all the way through verse 37 as we read together this morning. So if you'd stand in honor of God as we read his word together. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 20, we're talking about the coming kingdom of God. Verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day, but first he must suffer many things. And be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away, and likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. You may be seated. You be encouraged through God's word this morning. And let's pray that God would continue to bless our time together this morning. 
Father, we thank you this morning for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity to turn to it. We pray that you'd open our hearts, help us to be mindful of it, and help us to take what you say very seriously about your coming kingdom. Give us wisdom, and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, the, the title of the message this morning is that the kingdom of God is, is already here, and we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God and the way in which the kingdom of God is in some ways already present, is, is already with us. And, and what I want you to think about, the question that I want you to kind of ponder as we begin looking at verses 20 and 21 of Luke chapter 17 this morning, the question that I want you to think about is, is how, how can we recognize the kingdom of God? How can we recognize and, and, and recognize and see the kingdom of God? How do we know when we encounter it? If we're going to participate in the kingdom of God, if we're going to, to work to further its, its reach and, and work to establish it and we want to experience it fully, how are we going to recognize it when we see it? And in Luke 17, we encounter the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are some individuals who have the kingdom of God in the midst of them, the kingdom of God is beginning to be established even as they, they live and are around and, and encounter Jesus, and they miss it. They, they totally don't get it. How can you and I recognize the kingdom of God when we encounter it so that we can participate in it and experience it? The Pharisees weren't able to do so, and sometimes we struggle to recognize and participate in the kingdom of God as well. This past week, maybe you saw this story, but uh, there's an author named David Barton, and he had a book just published entitled The Jefferson Lies. And this past week, I read a story about how the publisher of this book, Thomas Nelson Publishers, has decided to pull the book from circulation. It's no longer going to be publishing or distributing this book. And, and what they said is the book contained too many uh, inaccuracies, historical inaccuracies, in order to continue to publish it. And what David Barton tries to do in this book is he talks about Thomas Jefferson, and, and his contention is that we've misunderstood Jefferson, that instead of Jefferson being this, this deist that didn't have very orthodox views of Christianity, Barton claimed in the book that actually Thomas Jefferson had some beliefs at, at points in his life that were very similar to orthodox Christianity, and those beliefs helped him as he helped shape the beginning stages of our country. And so he kind of made some very strong claims in there that the publishers have concluded, yeah, we, we can't back that up historically. I found the, the story very interesting, just first of all, because of what we're talking about this morning. I'll come to that in just a minute. But also because uh, David Barton is someone that I've, I've followed his career for, for several years now. I was in junior high or high school, and I was attending a church, and David Barton came and, and spoke at our church and, and gave a seminar. And I remember just being a, a young kid, and I had thought about being a, a lawyer, and I, in fact, I'd even thought about being a, a constitutional lawyer. What little kid doesn't dream of, of growing up to be a constitutional lawyer? Uh, and so I, I, attended this, <laughs> I attended this seminar, very excited about listening to David Barton talk, and, and, he, and he said some things at the, that seminar that I've thought about in the years since. And some of the things that he said I think were really, really good, and he talked about how the founding fathers had this vision that, uh, that the church and the state would be separate and the church would not be able to be um, 
influenced by the state. The state wouldn't be able to control the church and tell people what they were going to believe and tell people what church they had to be a part of. And, and so the state was going to be separate from the church. But uh, David Barton, as he's talking about, talked about how the founding fathers envisioned the, the church would continue to be able to, to influence the public sphere. The founding fathers envisioned a country, he claimed, and I, I think he's right in this, in which the citizenry would, would be moral people, they would, they would have their morals shaped by a Judeo-Christian ethic. And so there was the vision that the founding fathers had that, that the church would continue to be able to influence the, the public sphere. And when he talked about those things, I, think, I thought then and I think now that he was right. But then he also made some, some stronger claims that at the time I wasn't sure about and in the years since I've become even more concerned about. Barton also claimed that the founding fathers not just were sympathetic toward Christianity, but he would, he would claim that all the founding fathers, or at least uh, all but one or two, were, were Christian in the same sense that evangelical Christians are. And in fact, he went so far as to say that as they shaped the, the government, they basically took principles right out of Scripture and, and designed the, the government to mirror principles in Scripture. And, and so in the way that he talked, and, and here is what the concern that I had at the time, the concern I still have, the way that he talked, he almost made it sound like America was the inevitable byproduct of Christianity. In other words, here's Christianity, and, and here's America, and, and as they, the United States of America, and as, as the founding fathers established the, the United States of America, they're really establishing like this, this, this Christian kingdom. And my concern with that, that viewpoint, that worldview, is I think that it can cause us to confuse the kingdom of God with the kingdom of the world. Do you see what I mean there? Sometimes that worldview can say, well, the United States of America equals Christianity, or Christianity equals the United States of America, and we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the kingdom of the United States of America as well, and there's not a distinction there. As I look at our culture, in 21st century America, I don't, I don't think it's exactly the same as the kingdom of God. I look at our culture, and, and frankly, as I look at the political structures that exist within our country, sometimes I, I become very discouraged. As I look at the church, I sometimes become very discouraged. But human institutions are not the same thing as the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is both more narrow and, and more expansive than I can imagine. The kingdom of God, we're going to talk about this morning, is something that, that transcends all of human institutions, that, that, that's bigger than all of those things, and, and it's something that you and I need to recognize when it appears, and you and I need to do everything we can to participate in it. And to be a part of the kingdom of God, to, to be members of it, and to be establishing it in our world today across all different institutions that we find ourselves in. How do we recognize it? How do we see it? How do we know when it's there? Here's what I want you to grasp as we look at verses 21 and, and 20 this morning. I want you to see that you can recognize and enter the kingdom of God through the person of Jesus Christ. How can you know when you see the kingdom of God? Look to the person of Jesus Christ. And the problem that exists within each human heart 
is that we can get so uh, turned away from God into our own perceptions of what the kingdom of God should be or what it should look like or how God should work in the world that we don't see the kingdom of God when it's in our midst. You can recognize and enter the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ, looking to Jesus Christ. There's a lot here. <laughs> you know, normally, uh, whenever I'm preaching, I say, okay, I'm going I'm to try to pick one main theme, and, and everything we talk about, I'm going to try to focus on one subject. Well, when the subject is the kingdom of God, I get a little nervous, because <laughs> that's a pretty big subject. So, you know, we're, we're going to be kind of on a roller coaster ride here this morning, so, so try to stay with me as, as much as possible. This morning, we're going to be looking at the kingdom of God as it's already here. Next week, we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 37 and see the kingdom of God in the future. But, but here's what I want to do in our time together. We'll see. <laughs> this is kind of a little aggressive, but we'll see how it goes. I've been on vacation, so I, I can go for a long time this morning. Um, what we're going to do, we're going to just talk about some introductory thoughts to the kingdom of God. So let's, let's go and begin here. We're going to talk about five things about the kingdom of God that I think are helpful for us to think about as we begin to talk about the kingdom of God. And then we're going to go to the text, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. So here, here's the first thing that I want us to think about as we begin to talk about the kingdom of God. Number one, the kingdom of God, let, let's define it. The kingdom of God refers to God's rule, to God's reign. George Ladd puts it this way, the kingdom is the dynamic reign, the kingly rule of God, and the sphere in which that rule is experienced. And so the kingdom of God refers to God reigning as king, and that, that sphere, a king needs a kingdom, and so the, the kingdom is that sphere in which God reigns. The kingdom of God is not the same as the United States of America. The kingdom of God isn't even the, the same as the church. Now, the church participates in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God established the church, and as the church, we proclaim the kingdom of God, but, but the kingdom of God is even greater than the church. The kingdom of God, that's, that's kind of a definition. The second thing that I want you to think about this morning as we think about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is God's rule, number one. Number two, God is already reigning as king. God is already reigning as king. It's not like, well, someday there's going to be this kingdom, and, and then someday God's going to finally get to be a king. No, no, God's already been the king. What do we see in the book of Psalms? Psalm 10:16. the Lord is king forever and ever. Psalm 29, verse 10, the Lord sits enthroned, the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. It's not like someday God's going to finally get to be a king. No, God has been a king from eternity past and he's going to continue to be a king on into eternity future. Was a king, is a king, always will be a king. Genesis 1 and 2 establish God's rule over the created realm. In, in the beginning, there, there's God, there's nothing else, there's God. In the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so God forms the earth and the universe and the stars and the galaxy and the universe the way that he wants it. How many of you guys have seen some of the pictures of the Curiosity Mars rover landing on Mars? Isn't that crazy? We took this rover not we personally, but I'm part of humanity, so I kind of participated. Um, and we shot this thing 350 million miles through space and landed it on Mars. 
that's pretty cool. And yet, it's nothing in terms of the galaxy. I've talked about this before, but uh, a, a few days after I was born in, in 1977, September 5th, 1977, uh, we launched Voyager 1. And Voyager 1 traveled over the next 12 years, 13 years. It, it took pictures of all these different planets. And then in 1990, as it was preparing to leave the solar system, you remember this? We've talked about it before, but as it was preparing to leave the solar system, NASA said, uh, hey, turn around and take some pictures of everybody before you leave home. And so the, 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 uh, the, the, the Voyager 1 turns around here in 1990. It takes a, a series of six pictures, four billion miles away from Earth. It turns around and takes a series of pictures and then sends them back. And in that composite of the pictures, you, you see a, a picture of the solar system. And as it took the picture, there was kind of like a sunbeam that the earth was, was in the midst of. And you wouldn't be able to see the earth in this big, black, vast nothingness unless it was for the sunbeam. And there in the sunbeam is this pale blue dot, this little speck of dust. Nothing in the solar system. But that's us. Carl Sagan, who's, who's no friend of Christianity, said this. He said, we succeeded in taking that picture from deep space. And if you look at it, you see a dot. That's here. That's, that's us. That's home. On it, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever lived, lived out their lives, every saint and sinner in the history of our species, lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. It's been said that astronomy is a humbling experience. And to my mind, said Carl Sagan, I believe he's absolutely right here, there's perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of the human conceit than this distant image of our tiny world. So Voyager 1 turns around and, and shows us how tiny we are in our solar system. And our solar system is nothing in our galaxy. Our galaxy, if you travel like 5.8 trillion miles a year, it would take you 100,000 years to travel from one end to the other. And our galaxy is nothing in our universe. And so you and I, we, we exercise dominion over little tiny things. I was thinking about this driving to church this morning, seeing all these little houses that are, that are tiny in, in the sense of a globe, and the globe is nothing in terms of our solar system, solar system nothing in terms of a galaxy, galaxy nothing in terms of the universe, and God reigns over all of it right now. He sustains it. He sustains the universe. And so as we think about the kingdom of God, what you need to understand is this. God isn't going to someday say, it's, it's time to be king. God is king right now. And here's the third thing that I think is important for us to consider, to contemplate. God invites us to participate in his kingdom. So here we are on this, this pale blue dot, this speck of nothingness in the, the vastness of our solar system. And God, who stands sovereign over all our created, all of his created realm, invites you and I to participate in his kingly rule. In fact, um, Here's a passage we've turned to several times as we've gone through the gospel to help us understand Jesus Christ. But, but turn to Colossians chapter 1, if you would. It's a passage that, as we think about Jesus, we, it's, it's such a crucial passage to understand as you understand the person of Jesus Christ. So we come here often as we've gone through the gospel. But it's, you go through, uh, it's after Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and you come to the book of Colossians. 
And, and listen to this tension. So we, we've said God is already reigning as king, and yet at the same time, he graciously allows us to participate in his kingdom. He invites us to participate in his kingdom. Listen to what we read in the book of Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. It says, he's the image, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, and for him he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so you think about the, expa- the ex- expansive nature of God's rule over the entire universe, and all that came into being through Jesus Christ, and, and it was created because of him and for him, and, and in him everything that's, that you see and you know about and everything that exists is being held together. So that's, that's the vastness of Jesus, his power, his supremacy, and now look at how he's mindful of us and our tininess. It says that he's also, verse 18, the head of the body, the church. And it says in verse 19, for in him, that's in Christ, Listen to what happens now. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled, brought back into relationship in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Here's the, what you need to understand about the kingdom here. God reigns as king, that's his kingdom. He's always reigned as king. And there's a special invitation through the person of Jesus Christ to be reconciled to God, to be reconciled to the creator of the universe to participate in and, 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 and to taste of his kingly rule and, and, and to be a subject of the sovereign God of the universe. That's the third thing that I think is crucial for us to understand about the kingdom of God. The king welcomes us to be a part of his kingdom and makes provision for us to be a part of his kingdom. That brings me to the fourth thing about the kingdom of God that I think is important for us to understand, and this flows from the other things we've mentioned. But the fourth thing is that this invitation to participate in the kingdom is a big deal in Scripture. (laughs) It's a big deal in Scripture, and especially in the Gospel of Luke. You know, the type of preaching that we do here at Bethany Community Church is called expositional preaching. The idea there is that you you take a, a section of Scripture, a, a book like the, the Gospel of Luke, and uh, you, you, you go through it a paragraph at a time, and you deal with a theme, and you deal with that theme, and then you go to the next paragraph, and you say, okay, what's this trying to communicate to us in our fallen condition? And you talk about it. And, and the, one of the reasons I really like expository preaching is because it, it puts some boundaries on the message, right? So, okay, this is the boundary for our text this morning. This is what we're going to think about. This is what we're going to meditate upon. Now, when you come to a paragraph like verses 20 and 21 of of Luke 17, uh, you have a little bit of a problem. The subject is the kingdom of God. Where do you draw the boundaries there? There's really no aspect of, of Scripture that doesn't somehow interact with this idea of the kingdom of God. 
In fact, one person said, really, you could outline the entire Bible uh, using the theme of the kingdom of God. Verses, uh, chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, the kingdom of God before sin. Then you go Genesis 3 all the way through Revelation 19, and you're talking about the kingdom of God during sin. And then, you know, 21 and 22, uh, 20, 20 through 22, the kingdom after sin. The kingdom of God is, is a big theme. And as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke, we've seen that this is a, a big theme. Luke 1.33, Gabriel announces to Mary that Jesus is, is going to be king. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Luke 4.13, Jesus says, I have to preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. I was sent for this purpose. Luke 8.1, he goes throughout cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Luke 8.10, he tells his disciples, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Luke 9.60-62, Jesus is talking with people and about the importance of the kingdom of God. And he tells one person, look, uh, let the dead bury their own dead. Go proclaim the kingdom of God. To another, uh, another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those in my home. Jesus says, no, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 12, 31, seek his kingdom, Jesus says. These things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your God, Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, we see throughout Jesus' ministry in the Gospels. The kingdom of God is a big deal. The invitation to participate in God's kingdom is a big deal. Therefore, that question I asked at the beginning of our time together, how can you recognize the kingdom of God, is a big deal. Fifth thing that I want you to think about about the kingdom of God before we look at verses 20 and 21. The fifth thing, and this is a little confusing, we'll talk more about it next week perhaps. The kingdom of God is already here and is not yet fully here. There's a tension in Scripture. The kingdom of God is already here, and yet the kingdom of God is not yet fully here. We'll talk more about the, this tension next week, but, but we know in some ways there's this, this future kingdom coming. There's going to be this eternal kingdom. There's a kingdom described in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3, and, and we see God establishing this, what we'll call them, we'll talk about this next week, but this millennial kingdom that leads to this eternal kingdom. And so we know that that isn't fully here yet. And yet, at the same time, we know that the kingdom of God has already begun. We know that the, the new covenant, although it's not fully realized, we're experiencing some of the benefits of that through, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so there's this tension. The kingdom of God, Jesus says here, it's, it's in the midst of you. It's, it's already here. It's present, verse 21. And yet at the same time, he's going to tell his disciples in verses 22 through, 20, 22 through 37 that the kingdom isn't already here yet. So this week, we're going to look at the ways that the kingdom is, is already here. And then next week, we're going to look at the idea of the, this future kingdom. But the kingdom of God is, is already here, and yet the kingdom of God is not yet fully here. Okay. Take a breath. It's a lot of stuff, right? Kingdom of God, big deal. How do we recognize it? Well, let's look at verses 20 and 21. We're going to look at three things. The first thing that we're going to look at is we're going to look at the Pharisees' challenge. The Pharisees' challenge to Jesus. Look at verse 20. Remember what Jesus has just dealt with these, these lepers in Luke's story, the ten, the, the ten lepers are healed, only a Samaritan recognizes what's taken place, and here in verse 20 we see that there's some Pharisees that don't understand the ministry of Jesus as well. The Pharisees challenge Jesus. Verse 20, 
being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Now, what causes the Pharisees to ask this question? The Pharisees have heard people talking about Jesus. They know that there are some expectations that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is going to be the one who ushers in this this new reign of God. And they've heard some things that the people are saying about Jesus. And the Pharisees, catch this, the Pharisees are skeptical. The Pharisees have their own expectation about what the Messiah was supposed to do when the Messiah came. In fact, let me read to you some some words from a, a a first century B.C. text that kind of described the Jewish expectations concerning the Messiah. It says, uh, the, and this, this is what the Pharisees would have believed, uh, talking about the Messiah, it says, um, let's see, raise up unto them their king, the son of David, the Messiah, they're talking about, at the time in which thou seest, O God, that he may reign over Israel thy servant, and, and gird him with strength that he may shatter unrighteous rulers, and they may purge Jerusalem from the nations that trample her down to destruction. Wisely, righteously, he shall thrust out sinners from the inheritance. He shall destroy the pride of the sinners, a potter's vessel. With a rod of iron, he shall break in pieces all their substance. He shall destroy the godless nations with the word of his mouth. At his rebuke, nations shall flee before him. So what are they expecting? The Messiah is going to come in and show the nations who's boss. Jesus, and by the way, is that a wrong idea about the Messiah? Is the Messiah going to someday do those things? Are the nations going to flee before the Messiah? Absolutely. So it's not like the Pharisees were wrong in their theology in terms of what they were expecting from the Messiah, but what they got wrong was in their expectations for how that would play out. And so the Pharisees had this conception of, this is what the Messiah is supposed to do, and we're going to focus on this and our expectations about how that's going to play out, and Jesus isn't fulfilling those expectations. The Messiah is supposed to come in and knock some heads together. The Messiah is supposed to come in and show these Roman dogs whose lamb this really is. And Jesus doesn't fit that bill. Jesus is meek. Jesus is establishing a spiritual kingdom. Jesus is, is preaching this, this kingdom of meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the kingdom of earth, the kingdom of God. Are you kidding me? Blessed are the guys who take those Romans and show them who's boss. Jesus preaches a kingdom that's much different than the kingdom the Pharisees had envisioned. And so they expected signs and wonders. Remember 1 Corinthians talks about Jews seek for a sign. They expected some signs that would confirm to them that the Messiah was the person that they thought he was and that the Messiah was going to do the things that they expected him to do. And here's the problem. And this is the problem for you and I as we think about how to recognize the kingdom of God in our world as well. They missed out on the kingdom because God wasn't doing things in the exact way that they thought God should be doing things. Let me be a a little transparent with you here, okay? Now, Now, don't use this against me. I know the wickedness of your hearts and mine. Here, here's, here's Daniel Bennett's struggle, okay, sometimes. 
I think about the kingdom of God this way. This is Daniel Bennett's idolatrous conception of the kingdom of God. I have a very vague understanding that the kingdom of God exists in the world. I understand that God is doing kingdom, kingdom things in, in the world in, in the global sense. And I, I get excited about that, but, but it's very abstract for me sometimes. Then I start thinking about the, the North American church, the church maybe in the United States of America, and, and that's, that's a little bit more tangible for me, but, but still, um, the idea that there's a, a church in, in, in New York, really, New York? That seems like a long way away to me. And so that, that seems, I understand it kind of, but, 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 but it, it's still a little vague. And then I, I think about the church in central Illinois, and, and I, I, I get excited about that, and I get excited about God's kingdom at work in, in central Illinois. And, uh, you know, last week I went to a very like-minded church in, in this area and on vacation. I was very excited about what God's doing there. But, but honestly, when I think about the kingdom of God, I don't, I don't think about this central Illinois as, as much as I do about the, the work that he's doing through the Bethany Fellowship of Churches, you know, the church that planted us, our sister church that they also planted in, in our church. And then you, you want to talk about the kingdom of God? Talk about Bethany Community Church. Now you're cooking with gas, right? I mean, I, I get really excited when I think about God's kingdom work through our church. And then, you know, the, the ultimate of God's kingdom work, it's through me. Now I'm really excited. You know what? If God really wants to do some kingdom work that I get excited about, do it through me, right? And, and not just his kingdom, my idea of his kingdom work. Do you see why that's so dangerous? Now, honestly, I don't believe I consciously think that way, but sometimes when I analyze my excitement about the kingdom of God, I realize that's how I'm thinking. Now, maybe you're not as, as wicked as I am, okay? But maybe it manifests itself in you in different ways. Maybe there are some, some catchphrases that, that the people in your theological circles use certain catchphrases, and, and you need to hear certain words. There are certain words that you look for, and if you don't hear those words and, and you don't hear them said in a certain way, you're like, yeah, I don't know if the kingdom of God is really at work in that situation. Be careful. Be careful. The Pharisees had construed a, a theological system that, that had a lot of truth in it. But because it was so narrow in terms of, of what they were willing to accept, they missed seeing God's work in their midst. And you know what they were missing? They were missing a focus on Jesus Christ. I'm getting ahead, but that's okay, I think. The, Pharisee, the Pharisees' challenge to Jesus exists because they're not focused on Jesus. The greater our vision is exalted, the better it is for the kingdom we convince ourselves. Hopefully not consciously. But what we see here is that ultimately it's idolatry, and it causes us to miss out on the kingdom. We're not exalting God's kingdom, but our own. Okay, so that's the Pharisees' challenge. Now, let's look at Jesus' identification of their, their wrong understanding. What does Jesus do? How does, he, how does he confront them? Well, look at what he says next. He says, uh, so the Pharisees have said, okay, we want a sign. You know, what, what's, what's, uh, what's, how do we know when it's coming? How do we recognize it? And he answered them, 
the kingdom of God is, is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or, or there, be, for, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. What, what is he saying? What's the wrong understanding? Well, there's three things that the Pharisees assume here, right? The first thing that we see that they assume, they assumed that the kingdom was future, was just future. So Jesus stands up in the synagogue and, and proclaims that, that God's kingdom has come. He proclaims it a spiritual kingdom, and the Pharisees don't get it. He begins to heal people. The Pharisees don't see the signs they want, and so they think, still not the kingdom. Jesus begins this proclamation of the kingdom of God, and the Pharisees reject it, and they keep saying, when is the future, when is the future kingdom going to come? When's the kingdom going to come? When's the kingdom going to come? And the kingdom's here. And they miss it. Their first wrong assumption is that the kingdom is only in the future. Because they don't see the, the fully realized kingdom that the Old Testament prophets proclaim, they deny that the kingdom is, is currently being established. That's the first thing that's wrong. The second thing that they assume wrongly is that they're going to be a part of it. They assume that whenever the kingdom of God comes, surely, surely they will recognize it because they're going to be the people that are the very the center of the kingdom of God. It's similar to what we saw in, in Luke chapter 11. Remember in Luke chapter 11? Uh, Jesus is, is talking to the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and, and he tells them as the, when the crowds were increasing, he's going to say this generation is an evil generation that seeks for a sign. No sign is going to be given to it except the, the sign of Jonah. He talks about how they're, they're missing out on, on seeing the kingdom of God as it's being established. In verse 14 of, of Luke chapter 11, he's, he's casting out a demon, and the people accuse Jesus, the Pharisees accuse Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And others are testing him, asking him for a sign, and he says to them, knowing their thoughts, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? In other words, look, either you have two options as you look at my ministry. One, it's either from God, and he's establishing his kingdom, or or it's from Satan. He says, clearly it's not Satan. The kingdom of God, therefore, is being established, and the Pharisees miss it. They miss it. The Pharisees are wrong in assuming that the kingdom is future. They're wrong in assuming that they're going to be a part of it, and they're wrong to assume that it's going to come with these signs, their expectations that the kingdom is going to come with these, these certain signs that they'll be able to, to pick out, and they'll be the signs that they want them to be. Remember that passage we looked at in Luke 14, when Jesus has talked about the coming kingdom of, of God, and there's a, a person at the, at the uh, banquet who assumes that he's going to be a part of the kingdom. He says, blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God, and Jesus corrects his wrong understanding. No, it's not God's kingdom isn't for all, you can't just assume that you're a part of it. You can't just assume that you're going to be a part of it. You can't assume that it comes with these certain signs. God's kingdom, God's kingdom, and comes in God's way as he rules over it completely. 
So the Pharisees' challenge here is that, that they're challenging Jesus concerning the, the, the immediacy of the kingdom and, and whether or not he's a part of the kingdom. Jesus identifies the wrong understanding that they have these signs that they expect the kingdom to come with that, that are really their own kingdom signs, not God's kingdom. How does that apply to us? The Pharisees were so worried about the kingdom coming in a form that they were expecting that they missed out on the chance to participate in it right now. Can you imagine having the opportunity to follow Jesus around, to listen to his teaching, to experience the miracles and to be able to, to see that the changed lives of, of people who are at the very bottom of society, who are weighed down with sins, come into contact with their Savior and, and, and to see that, that healing power of Jesus Christ in their lives. Can you imagine missing out on that opportunity? The fair, it's, it's a tragic thing, right? The Pharisees were so looking forward to the Messiah, and they were so looking forward to participate in, this, in, this, in this, this kingdom someday. Someday the kingdom's coming, and when the kingdom comes, we're going to reign as king, and all these things are going to happen, and the king is right there, and they reject him, and they miss out. The kingdom of God, it's possible to be excited about an abstract, theoretical kingdom of God and miss out on it in the here and now. An important question for you to ask yourself is how is God establishing his kingdom right now? What are the opportunities that he's placed in my life right now to participate in the establishment and the proclamation of his kingdom? The Pharisees were so concerned with materialism, they were so concerned with participating in a kingdom that was in line with their thinking, they missed out on the immediacy of the kingdom. To participate in the kingdom would have required sacrifice. They would have had to leave father, mother, sons, daughters. There would have been some incredible sacrifices they would have had to make. But can you imagine living in the first century and having the opportunity to minister with Jesus and proclaim the coming kingdom? They missed it. And you have the potential of missing it as well. Third thing, what's the answer? Third thing we see is Jesus' correction of the wrong understanding. Jesus says, Jesus says, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. This is something he's said over and over again throughout Scripture. You can look at uh, Luke 4, 16 and following, Luke 7, 20, all throughout the Gospel of Luke, Luke 7, 22 through 28, Luke 9, 1 through 6, I, I, I'm the kingdom, I'm it, I, I'm here, and, it, and it's, it's by my finger, that, the, by, it's by the finger of God that I'm casting out demons, that the kingdom of God has, has come upon you, I'm it, I, I'm, I'm the one. The kingdom of God is, is in the midst of you. Jesus' correction of the wrong understanding you haven't, as you've come into contact with me, you've stumbled over me. Instead of recognizing me as the means by which God is establishing his kingdom, you've rejected me. 
This morning, as you think about the question, how can I recognize the kingdom of God? You recognize the kingdom of God by focusing your attention on the person of Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus Christ in the first century would have required an incredible sacrifice. But as you came into contact with that pearl of great price, that treasure hidden in a field, you would have said, look, there's nothing, there's nothing greater for me than to, to give up these things in order to obtain this treasure. The same is true today. If you want to recognize the kingdom of God, if you want to participate in the kingdom of God, the conclusion you must come to is you must say, as I encounter the kingdom of God here and now in the person of Jesus Christ, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that is more valuable to me than the person of Jesus. And as I behold Jesus, I'm beholding the kingdom. The kingdom of God is a future entity. Someday, the, the, the kingdom of God, in the sense of, of all recognizing God as king and, and engaging in worship of the King Jesus Christ, that hasn't happened yet. And yet, at the same time, the kingdom of God is already here because the person of Jesus Christ has come and invited us to begin to participate in his kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the kingdom of God that is already here through Jesus Christ. We pray that we would be able to participate in your kingdom through faith in him. We pray that as we think about the things in our lives that may hold us back, that we would say that there's nothing to us that's more valuable than knowing your son Jesus, the power of his resurrection. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.